I think that having a global currency is inevitable at some point, whether in our lifetime or another. Um, and I think Bitcoin's the kind of global currency I'd like to see. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Amiti Utawa to discuss becoming a Bitcoin core developer. But before that, I have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, we have Casa, the best in Bitcoin security. Now, with Casa, it could not be easier to protect your Bitcoin from hackers, personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And that is something I definitely needed help with because I really did not have my security shit together. Until a few months ago, I reached out to the Casa team and I said, come on, help me out with this. Help me get my security sorted. And they did. And I've had so much peace of mind since. I've protected myself from making stupid mistakes and from any of those filthy hackers getting hold of my Bitcoin. And with Casa being so amazing, they do have a product for every Bitcoiner out there. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet for only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their three of five multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering, including a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. And you can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we're going to talk about sportsbet.io, who are the best in online gaming. Have you been enjoying the return of football? Some crazy results, right? I think in a normal season with a crowd, Liverpool would already be running away with the title. But this isn't a normal season. We've had so many goals. It's been crazy. Have you seen how many goals there's been? We did get to enjoy West Ham coming back from 3-0 down against Tottenham to pull it back to 3-0, which was pretty cool. Also, this week we have the return of the Champions League, which I fully expect Liverpool to win. And we also have the return of the Europa League. And my sponsor, Sportsbet.io, is welcoming back the competitions with a special offer for you football lovers. They are offering a number of missions whereby if you hit a streak during the competition, then you can win up to one Bitcoin in cash prizes. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to opt in and view the terms of the promotion. And sportsbet.io is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io and that's forward slash promotions. And lastly, let's talk about Least Authority, who I welcomed back recently as a sponsor to the podcast. Now, they are for you techies out there. Those of you out there building the applications, Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits of how you build privacy-respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design. And they can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer 2 protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and so much more. If you want to boost your security strategy, you can arrange a no-obligation call to find out how Least Authority can help your next project. Just head over to their website and hit the schedule a call button. That's at leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. Okay, so onto the show today. And as I said, I've got Amiti Utawa on the show. I hope I pronounced her surname correctly. Sorry if I got it wrong, Amiti. But it's great to welcome her back on the show and discuss her journey to becoming a Bitcoin core developer. Now, last summer, I was out in New York. I was visiting Chaincode Labs as I had an interview with John Newbury. And Chaincode were running their residency program at the time. So towards the end of the interview, I spoke to three of the residents and one of those was Amiti. Now following her residency with Chaincode, she managed to get funded by Zappo. 
and now spends most of her time working on Bitcoin Core. I thought it would be a good time to catch up with her and find out how the year has gone and, and what she is working on. And I also wanted to ask her about the recent blacklist slash blocklist controversy that fired up on Twitter. So I hope you enjoy this. If you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Over on my other show, Defiance, we're now at episode five of my series about Ghislaine Maxwell. If you want to check that out, that's at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week, and I will see you all on Friday. Hello, Amitis. Good to see you again. Hi, good to see you too. I can't remember exactly when we recorded that impromptu show in New York. It was at least a year ago, right? Yeah, it was during the residency. So last summer, I think more towards the end of it. So maybe August. Yeah, That was good fun. I, I, I remember leaving that thinking that's three of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Yeah. I three of you sat around the table just with like grinning ear to ear having having the best time uh, we, we're, we're gonna come back to that we're gonna come back to that but it's good <laughs> to see you on it was funny because um you know I did that show and then you know life goes on and then I just started to see your name and picture pop up occasionally again I was like oh she's she's here she's here doing the bitcoin thing and like it worked out right so um we've got a few bits we've got a few gaps to fill in but what I thought would be a really useful show to make is that because you you're kind of new to this, right? I thought it might be good Absolutely. to cover a bit of your journey, so people can understand like what you went through to become a a core developer, a Bitcoin developer, and so maybe they can learn from that. How are you with that? Sure, sounds good. All right. Um, so before before Chain Code, let's talk about like what was happening up until discovering the Bitcoin thing. Like, what were you doing? You obviously must have had an interesting in tech or coding or something. Yeah. So I basically was working in San Francisco Bay Area at different startups. So was very much in the tech scene. Um, But I'm not exactly sure how I first learned about blockchain and Bitcoin, etc. Some of my earliest memories involve um, one watching a TED talk about what is a blockchain and two reading the Bitcoin white paper. Um, so that was my memory of my first dabblings. And what really captured my interest was the potential for an alternate trust model. Cause historically we've only had direct or hierarchical trust where I get to know you and we can make promises, do business, etc. Or I put trust in some, like if you have a friend and you go, this person's good and we extrapolate out, which is really the main way that human society has been able to scale to the billions of people that we are and function. So when I learned about this new tech concept, blockchain thingamabob, what really captured my interest and inspired my question asking of how and what could this mean is the idea that We have a new trust model where two strangers can come to an agreement of what happened without having to trust one another. And that really is what sent me off. I wanted to know, is this for real? How does it work? Uh, What what assumptions are there, et cetera? And in a way, that still keeps me around because I'm still wondering, is it real? Does it work? What assumptions are there, et cetera? (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, I find it all totally fascinating, but in some ways I'm also fascinated by the work that 
people like you do and the other developers I've spoken to because it is way beyond me but it's it really is kind of fascinating and when I came to chain code it was I didn't know what to expect walking into the building um, but I left feeling like this just kind of like overwhelming feeling of wow this is like this is a place that's really going to help train people to confidently onboard into becoming Bitcoin developers I just left with this and I'm not a coder in any way. I mean, I know I know a few HTML tags. I can do a bold tag and a, I remember an ahref. I think that's a link. But like, I still left thinking, uh, uh, wow, that what a what a place this is. So, I think it would be great for you to talk about the process of getting to Chain Code, like how you went through the application, what happened, and then also then we'll let's talk about the experience at, at you know of the residency itself. Absolutely. So. I had actually applied to a previous residency um, and I didn't get in and they what? were like, okay, <laughs> you're not ready yet, which I, I, I can't understand. They said, go away, learn more, come back. <laughs> and so I don't remember exactly what the timeline was, but when I first applied, I was working at um, a different startup and then I found my way to Coinbase on the crypto team. And that was that was a move to try to get closer to the whole crypto scene. I knew this thing excited me, and I was really trying to figure out my footing of what is my path to create. I think everybody experiences uh, the overwhelm of information and projects and excitement, et cetera. And I think it's really important to figure out how do I create, not just consume. So in my journey of that, I applied to Coinbase. I was on the crypto team and I really, really loved the people I worked with and the exposure. We were all just very excited and would deep dive into different projects, different technologies and uh, potential, et cetera. I remember like a multi-hour conversation of like, why is it a 51% attack? What is Byzantine mean. And so I really enjoyed that, but I wasn't very satisfied by the work I was doing. In many ways, Coinbase is an application company. And so the technologies I was working with and the kind of the focus of um, trying to build quickly and uh, deliver a lot of different assets, et cetera, um, I can understand it and I don't hate on it, but for me, it, it's not as good of a fit of what I'm looking for. Um, I tend to be a deep diver who really, really wants to understand the fundamental ideas. And so I felt like, mostly I felt like I didn't have enough time and I wasn't going fast enough. So that, however, gave me exposure to different projects, how they work, helped me get deeper and understand. And I... Actually, I got myself invited to an Optech dinner, <laughs> and there I met John Newbery, who was the focus of your last interview, and he told me, yeah, you could totally contribute to Bitcoin Core if you wanted to. I did not not believe him <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so he just kind of gave me a little bit of uh, direction of like, okay, go clone the repo and build the tests, et cetera. And then let me know. And he said, look over here, here's a task to do. So I, I did it. It took me a long time, but I was excited and I did it. 
And that really gave me the exposure to starting to work on Bitcoin Core on GitHub. And as I did that, like Marco was also an early mentor in terms of giving me feedback, pointing me towards other work to do, et cetera. And I think that's what um, those contributions and demonstrating my sustained enthusiasm um, is really what enabled me to get accepted for the chain code residency the second time around. Right. Okay. Just a second. You said when you clone the repo, is that basically downloading all of Bitcoin? Yeah. Okay. But so, it's different than getting all the blocks. So it's downloading yeah. the code. Yeah. Like how overwhelming is it the first time to do that and just try and figure out how it all works, how it all linked together? Like, is it all obvious or do you just looking at it and going, huh? <laughs> well, getting the code is not hard. There's pretty clear directions and it's a very common thing. Uh, once you get the code, what you do with it, that was, yeah, I was just like, all right, there's a bunch of, is this Arabic? Is this, you know, <laughs> what what do I do here? <laughs> and I was just kind of like aimlessly opening files going, hmm, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, because one thing I would worry about, like, is that, you know, whenever you're working on something like Bitcoin Core, okay, so there's a couple of things here. Firstly, you're dealing with a protocol that has, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of value locked up in it. And, you know, you don't want to do something that kind of ruins something. But within that, like, I'd be wondering, it's like, if I'm working on here, how does that affect something over here? Like, and that's me not as a developer knowing, but did you go through anything similar like that? Absolutely. And I do on a daily basis. Um, there's so much nuance and complexity that I never know what I'm missing or what I'm seeing. Cause I think that that's something that as you get more experience, as you get more exposure, you see the bigger picture. Whereas when you're getting started, you can take on a small specific task and figure out how to solve this exact thing, but you're, completely unaware of how that might impact things downstream. So right, okay. from the point of view of the code base, trying to make things easier to isolate is the direction that uh, we're, we're striving for and that in general tech projects go for as they mature. So okay. one of the examples of this is having more automated tests. So if you come in, and you go, oh, I could change this. That's fine. And then you have a, a test suite that's just automatically running that goes, no, you can't because that breaks something else. That's much better than just having to rely on, oh, actually, you need to know the whole system before you change one small thing. Right. So there's like active projects to kind of mature the code base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about what happened at Chaincode as well. How long How long was the residency? Um, approximately a little less than three months. So I think okay. it was 10 That's... or 11 weeks. And how does it work? Is it a specific program of activity? Are you? Do you get to choose a specific area you want to work on, say maybe Lightning? Like how does that all work? Yeah, so I think every residency that chain code has run so far has been slightly different. So I'll tell you about how last year's worked. Um, it started with a two and a half, three week period of seminar. And it was 
a couple weeks of Bitcoin and a week of Lightning. And there they really just pulled all the experts. It was incredible. Uh, we just got so much exposure. It was, I was really in full sponge mode, like, okay, maybe I only know 50% of the words being said, but maybe by the end of the week, I'll know 60. <laughs> um, but getting, getting exposure to different areas of thinking about Bitcoin, about Lightning, open problems, uh, design thoughts of people who are you know, prolific contributors, et cetera. And, and then the majority of the summer, the two months that followed, were the project period where we were given a lot of support um, we were assigned mentors, we were given help finding a project, etc. But the aim was really to each person selects a project and then just runs at it and tries as hard as they can to further this project over the course of the summer. What was your project? My project was about rebroadcasting and improving privacy in the, the leak that was via rebroadcasting. Okay, so, and did you did was that a completed project? Did that go? Did that work go live into into core? No, not at all. I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have made That's big so... progress, and if you're interested, I can tell you what the concept is, and I think you'll be yeah. able to understand. <laughs> yeah, go on. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on. Well, are you, hey, are I'm you just, saying I'm, I'm just... not technical? No, no, no. Opposite. I'm ready for it. Like, I don't care if you claim technical or not. You, you can get it. <laughs> right. Come on, then. Come on, Amiti. Like, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll have a go. Come on. Is it, is it more complicated <laughs> than X pubs? Oh I mean, that's, I, I, was, I was ready for this because I know the, the whole technical conversation and stuff. And I think it's just, I think that everybody has their own superpowers and interests of areas that they want to focus on. And I suspect mm -hmm. that there are areas in which you're very technical, like, for example, sports. I don't understand sports words or marketing and content creation, et cetera. All of these have domain specific logic. And so I think that just because you don't want to spend your time in code doesn't mean that you should be attacked for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Look, I get it. I get it. But yeah, no. Listen, um, when I'm uh, when I'm next out in the states, I'll we'll do the offside rule. We'll cover football. We'll get you into the offside <laughs> rule. Right, come on. Tell me. Tell oh, me what you did. I, I, wanna know. I think I know that one. It's like where defense goes ahead of offense, or the opposite. Oh uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Basically, if you pass a ball to another player in your team. Uh -huh. They have to be, and you're the on the offense. The defense has to have two players behind the ball, otherwise it's offside. And okay. a lot of people think it's one, but actually it's two because they include the goalie generally. But if the goalie's oh. not there, it has to be another player, otherwise it's offside. There you go. Gotcha. <laughs> right, you're in. Right, come on, explain this to me. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so first in Bitcoin we make transactions and. If you form a transaction, you have to tell everybody about it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's called broadcasting. The first time you say, hey, here's this transaction. And we have a lot of techniques so that it's not totally obvious when I tell you here's a transaction that it's my transaction. You might think I'm, it's actually Joe's transaction and I'm relaying it along. Um, if I tell you about a transaction for a second time, we call that rebroadcasting. And... There, 
the existing way that we rebroadcast is kind of a huge privacy leak because one, I only ever rebroadcast my transactions. So if you see that this is the second time I'm telling you about a transaction, you can know with quite high certainty that I was the one who created it. And that's the information we're trying to keep private. Right. So, and then two is it, we were doing it quite often. Uh, every time there was a block, we'd say, oh no, my transaction wasn't in it. Maybe the network doesn't know. Here it is. And that was just unnecessary because maybe maybe you weren't trying to get it into the next block. Maybe you had a low fee rate and you're like, sure, it'll be picked up in the next day. So the goal of my project is to improve this and just have it be less obvious. Um, I've gotten part one merged where I've made it less frequent. So now you'll just occasionally uh, rebroadcast if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, it did get kind of deep in the weeds of, okay, how do I make sure, what if I tried to create a transaction and send it out to the network and then actually didn't realize that my Wi-Fi was off? Uh, I should try that pretty quickly because there wasn't that initial success. Um, so in order to implement rebroadcast less frequently, I had to make sure that there was an indicator of success for the first broadcast. And then okay. part two, okay, does it make sense so far? Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Sweet. So part two is about, okay, now there is a rebroadcast, let's make it less obvious that it's mine. And fundamentally this is mix it in with other people's, you know? And so easier said than done, because if I just told you every transaction I've ever heard of multiple times, that would just be spam. And that would be using bandwidth and uh, other limited resources and just be terrible for the network. So it needs to be done carefully. So that's part two, and that's okay. in progress. Has any of that got anything to do with Dandelion? Kind of. Dandelion is a... So it was a paper. Because that's, that hmm? that's like a broadcast privacy thing, right? Yes, exactly. So dandelions around having practically perfect privacy in the initial broadcast. Right. So, yeah, they wrote a paper on it, and there's been a lot of interest. It's quite difficult to actually implement, but it's, it's in the same world of broadcasting and privacy. It's just focusing on a slightly different aspect of it. Okay, so you're halfway there. Part, part one's merged in. Was that your first significant piece of work that was merged in? Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. Okay, so when you complete that piece of work, how many people have to kind of check it to ensure it's okay? Yeah, there's no explicit answer to that. The number of acts, which is our lingo of, hey, I think this is ready or this is good, um, the, so the, the support being expressed really relates to what is the piece of work. So here, okay. because there is like behavior change in the P2P network, which is something that can have second and third order effects, it's pretty important that it's very, very carefully reviewed, which okay. might be different than other parts of the code. Um, so I don't remember offhand exactly who or how many um, support votes I got, but 
uh, it was definitely went through a lot of review and is better for it. How nervous were you when it went live? Oh, not at all, because it's not really that way. (laughs) No. I mean, you, you merge it to master, but then every six months, the master branch is bundled up and put out as a release candidate. And then there's additional testing that's going on. So it's not like it's immediately, oh, users are, are experiencing this change. It really does take a long while. But after getting support from people who are much more experienced and understanding of the, the whole network and the whole project than I am, um, that was such a boost of confidence that uh, it made me feel it, that built my confidence around the changes themselves. So when I'm first yeah, okay. when I'm first proposing it, that's very nerve wracking because I'm like, I've spent a lot of time on this, but maybe I'm just completely misunderstanding and missing something obvious. And these are awful idea. So that part can be very nerve wracking. But um, the actual but you get yeah, mentored through it, right? Oh my god, absolutely! I have amazing mentors <laughs> okay um so let me help me understand a couple of things so the thing you you propose there that's not a bip right or is that part of a bip or is a bip a bigger thing and when uh, does something become a bip mm-hmm. so let's talk about the difference between the bitcoin protocol and bitcoin core yes do you do you have any idea of what the difference is uh, so i'm gonna guess Okay, based on my limited understanding. But Bitcoin Core interacts with the protocol, right? But you can have, because Bitcoin uh, Core is an implementation, but you can have alternative implementations, right? That can all uh, interact with the protocol. But to be honest, God, this is one of these things where like people are going to listen now and go, oh my God, P didn't know this. I thought they were the same thing right up until the point you told me that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's something hard, I think, that many people um, initially don't realize or have a hard time wrapping their head around. So let's talk about it. Um, let's do it. So the Bitcoin protocol, what that defines essentially is this is what a valid block is. This is what a valid transaction is. And this is uh, what... Uh, the consensus. The protocol is consensus. Mm, consensus is a crucial part, yes. Yeah. Um, and that's defined in the protocol. And it also defines what messages look like. So how different nodes talk to one another. So it's pretty much consensus and the peer-to-peer messages, fundamentally. So right. anybody who implements a software that adheres to these rules they have the same definitions of a valid transaction or they send the same uh, format for communicating a transaction or addresses, et cetera. Those are all able to participate in the Bitcoin network. Okay. So if you have a different idea of what valid is, then you can't be in the Bitcoin network. You can be on your own network. That's cool, but that's separate, you know? Okay, let me just ask something f- firstly then. The protocol itself, what actually is it? As a, Is it like a, a separate piece of code, a separate f- set of files? What is, what is the protocol? 
yeah, I think that's what makes it tricky. It's kind of nebulous. Like the protocol is defined via BIPs, but what exactly is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's mostly just a format. It's mostly a, a rule set. It's not, um, it's not the actual code. So the actual code could be Bitcoin Core or, you know, a proprietary company software or whatever, your fork of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Those are actual code that implement the protocol. But the protocol is just a set of rules that you have to adhere to. But, but yeah, so what I'm trying to understand is like how, like, so how does Core, Bitcoin Core, how do, how does how do we ensure that it's following the rules and and if bitcoin core wasn't following the rules how would that break the system like i don't understand where the rule checking is mhm mm yeah that's a good question um okay so in in this hypothetical world where bitcoin core diverges from the bitcoin protocol what might happen is that we could have a fork in the blockchain. We could have a separation in the network. Those could be the two main options because other people are all agreeing, other nodes are agreeing to the rules and then Bitcoin Core is going rogue and saying, ha I'm on my own rules. So <laughs> okay. it would be very bad. <laughs> but Okay, okay. I think theoretically possible but seems kind of far-fetched um but cause like a partition of the network or blockchain most likely well it, i mean it's it is fascinating <laughs> to try and kind of for, for someone like me to try and get my head around it and try and understand how it all works and you know what sometimes in media i just think i just shouldn't like i should just like just accept it works and trust people like like yourself let me ask you another question so um that's obviously your first big piece of work. Are you also checking other people's work yourself? Absolutely. The review process is so critical to how Bitcoin Core and um, the Bitcoin protocol, how changes get in. Um, and so I spend a lot of time just, that's the vast majority of my day is reading code that Either somebody's proposing a change or this has already been there in the existing system and just trying to understand why are things this way? Uh, why is this change being proposed? What, what are the higher level concepts that are being impacted or considered here? And really just wrapping my head around it because it's so, so complex. And there's a lot of people who've spent a long amount of time trying to develop these clever, robust, private solutions. Um, I think it's really important as a new contributor to invest in learning and um, share that feedback. So through the review process, I can say, hey, I looked at the code. This is what I learned. Here are my open questions. And that can help um, nurture other people's understanding as well or inspire deeper question asking. Um, but that's like truly crucial to the way that our project works and how um, it's not just open source because open source means that, hey, anybody can see this. But I've been realizing lately that Bitcoin Core as a project is quite different than most existing open source projects. And one of the ways is because 
it's a fairly decentralized review mechanism. It's not just one maintainer or a, a company who has a project that's open sourced. It's actually a attempt at saying, here, community, let's decide this together. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, so what would you say like split split of your time is between review and your own project and how do you how do you even choose to partition your time with this Whew. i don't have any great answers some combination of like like my notebook and contrived urgency in my head based on github notifications <laughs> and just like excitement that day <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do, I, I project manage myself, which is different than companies, for example, but I really just try to focus on changes that I think would be, are impactful. Um, and I try to kind of have some themes of, all right, now I'm going to try to understand this area. Are there, are there PRs that are open that I can review that are kind of consistent so I can piece together the big picture, um, or what are the different, aspects of conversation um yeah i don't know there's a lot of different factors of how i choose but mostly it's nebulous and arbitrary (laughs) and you said like uh like it depends on what's going on on github like something exciting might be happening so i guess like in the developer community the core developer community you have your own lines of communication places you congregate places you talk uh whereas like a you know, whether you're like what I do or traders, they have their own places as well and they have their own things they get excited about. Like what what are the things that really excite you within amongst other developers? Is it just like certain new releases that are coming in, like really important bits of work? Is it like tap roots? Is it what what goes on that excites you a lot? Yeah, well I think one thing is uh, there are some things that are just ubiquitously mm-hmm. exciting, right? Like who isn't excited about Schnorr and Taproot? <laughs> it's awesome, for sure. But I also think and hope that different people get excited about different things because there's some sorts of tasks that I just, I think they're good, I think they're beneficial, but I have a hard time really getting into a flow state and working on, whereas there's others that uh, just genuinely capture my attention. And so where I've been hanging out is in the peer-to-peer network. And I find it so, um, find it just so interesting because it's, you can, it's kind of like an intellectual play space for me. There are these hyper-specific decisions that you make in the code base, like what kind of data structure am I going to use or uh, what kind of locks that are very technical and specific. But then this relates to how is the network functioning as a whole and having to go back and forth between this really big picture down to these very specific nuances um, is challenging and engaging. And I totally love it. So I've been spending most of my time in the P2P and I, you know, I've been working full time in Bitcoin for uh little over a year and i feel like i'm just starting to get the hang of it (laughs) well it seems to almost like there's so many different areas to it now that you can specialize in so you've just said about because to me there's like bitcoin and the lightning network like they're the two main things i 
think about but you talked about the peer-to-peer network so i guess within there there's like a whole bunch of different areas that people can choose to specialize in yeah totally and that's there is so many options like even within bitcoin core there's a ton even if you want to be like testing the releases or whether you're gonna review libraries that it depends on like for Schnorr and taproot there's some changes that are going on in bitcoin core but there's also the cryptography that are bundled up in different packages that need review as well. I, I I wish I could see a visual of it because honestly, I don't even know all of the different options. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting ecosystem, you know? Yeah. So w- what happened when you finished at Chaincode? Like the residency ended, you're probably very sad <laughs> that it was over. Yeah. Did you have, did you have like a graduation? <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we just did some like social activities, uh, did a escape room together. It was a cute bonding experience, hung out in a park. Cool. Like, I don't know. I, in general, uh, the group of resis became fairly tight. So we were socializing in our last days in New York, you know? <laughs> yeah, I love that city. Okay, so so what happened after that? Like, you said, what, because obviously it's open source development. Mm-hmm. You obviously need to be funded to do this work. So what was your path after the chain code? How how are you doing this? Yeah, so I was very lucky to be sponsored by Zappo. I got to um, be a full-time employee there, but able to just, my job was to work on Bitcoin Core and I had uh, the ability to decide how best to spend my time. Um, So that was very, very lucky and really awesome. And Fun because my mentor through the residency was AJ Towns, and he was also sponsored by Zappo. So he was then my official manager, uh, which was kind of ideal. <laughs> it's amazing. He's been a just like a wealth of information that uh, he's shared and taught me. I uh, I can't express enough how much I've learned from him. <laughs> oh, amazing. And then the Coinbase bought Zappo. So did you? Did that mean you ended up back at Coinbase? <laughs> not the first time I've been asked this. Coinbase did not buy Zappo. Coinbase bought the um, a particular part of Zappo's business, which was pretty much their their big business clients, because Zappo says oh. that they want to focus more on like the everyday individual. So right, okay. didn't want to develop like the services for uh, businesses, whereas Coinbase Custody, I think, it was really trying to focus on creating the suite of tools for that. So right, okay. they bought that Fair part. Enough. I met uh, uh, Vincent in Uruguay, of all places. Nice. My first time. He was a really fascinating guy to talk to. Okay, so... so You should get him on your pod. <laughs> I, do you know what I want him on? He's like he's one of the gaps in my um. He's one of the uh, like missing people on my list. Are you? Are you? Do you talk to him often? <laughs> Tell him to come on. Next up, I talk to Amiti more about Bitcoin development. But before that, I have a message from my amazing sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin. The only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. But why, P? Why? Why? Why is it only Kraken? Well, firstly, they're consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, and security is really important to me. And they also have the best-in-class customer service. So if you've got any issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, if you reach out to their customer service, they're going to help you get that shit sorted. 
And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, well, they have every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can start buying Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trade and futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And last up today, and it's never least with these guys, but we're going to talk about BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Now, with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and you can start earning interest on your Bitcoin. Now, I am a BlockFi customer. I have been a customer all year. I have now received over one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. I love my Bitcoin working for me. But also, you can use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan. You can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. And with Halloween coming, which is also my birthday, they have a special offer for new customers. So I obviously fully support this. From now until the end of the month, you can earn up to $275 in Bitcoin when you open up a BlockFi account. All you need to do is head over to the URL blockfi.com forward slash Peter. If you are interested in doing this, I do recommend you do your own research. Then head over to blockfi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Okay, cool. So now you're in, you're like part of this. Like I've got a few kind of different questions I want to ask you now. Like quite a big but broad first question is like, what does Bitcoin actually mean to you now? It's so many different things. There's so many facets, right? It's it's like a diamond. Which way am I looking at it? <laughs> and I think the the broadest answer I have to this is if somebody asks me what is Bitcoin, is Bitcoin is a money and it's different than other monies we have because it's digital, global, and inclusive by design. And so we don't we have we have different monies that are parts of these. You know, we have several digital currencies. We having a digital global one. This is the first that I've seen um, or the only viable option I've seen. Um, But things like gold or I mean, cash is fiat. But so I would say gold is a global currency. And then the inclusive by design is really important to me because I think that all of the digital and nation state backed currencies are designed on kind of the opposite principle where there's some central authority and you have to get this stamp of approval before you're able to partake in the system. And I think that totally misses the point of money. I think money is supposed to be a way to enable activity of different kinds, whether it's trade or business, future promises. And that's how money has worked for most of the past, whether gold and cash are inclusive. Like, you know, if I want to hand you cash and you hand me something else, it's not just going to be like, a lightning bolt comes down and says, no, you can't do that. (laughs) But that's how our digital age works right now with fiat. It's like you could be totally innocent and not be able to partake in a reasonable activity. Um, I thought a great example of this was Carla, who was one of the resis, had the hardest time getting just like a stipend from the chain code residency because she didn't have a permanent proof of address. So she didn't do anything wrong, but she wasn't able to get paid to do good work (laughs) and had to jump through all of these hoops. And she's like, oh, my God, can I just like buy Bitcoin and send it back? (laughs) 
And it was such a real tangible use case. And I think that as we become more and more of a global society, um, Yuval Noah Harari has this metaphor where he talks about how back in the day, if there were villages, there would be a, a shared resource of a river. And if you're upstream, it's cool. You can like use the clean water and then you can clean your stuff and pollute the downstream water. But this would be terrible for village people who live downstream. And so they had to come together to come up with some idea of a society to agree with how to treat the water or the shared resource. And he calls the internet the kind of global river where we've opened up these streams of communication, but we haven't really figured out good policies or how to, what to do with this overwhelm of resource. And I think this manifests in many different ways, but I think one is definitely money because if globally you're using a uh, currency that is backed by a particular nation state, this is uh, absolutely unfair. And especially in like days of money printing, et cetera, and honestly, it just seems unviable. I think that having a global currency is inevitable at some point, whether in our lifetime or another. Um, and I think Bitcoin's the kind of global currency I'd like to see because by design, it's saying that no entity should be able to keep another entity from participating. And that's something I take very seriously because when I look at the P2P network, that's the high level concept that I'm thinking about of Sure, there's this specific technical decision, but what does that mean for the ability to participate? And I want to maximize the fact that people should be able to use money. <laughs> but this, so that's a, that's a brilliant answer, like really powerful. But it, that sounds like that's like um like a passion for you that comes from somewhere a little bit deeper <laughs> for some reason. Like I don't know you, so I don't know why, but like. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I feel it pretty intensely. I've got like chills just talking about it. <laughs> so it feels, but it feels like this is, you know, a lot of people just, well, I guess it's the same though, because I was going to say um, this is like a passion project for you, but like how fortunate to get to work on a passion project. Oh yeah. I feel lucky on a daily basis. I feel um, just incredulous that I get to work on something I'm so passionate about and um, it's not just a high level passion, like it, it, it translates into me finding a flow state and like developing uh, something, you know, cr creating the thing. Uh, and I really feel so lucky that I work on something that I'm just truly, truly motivated to. Yeah, contributing to something that can make the world a better place, I yeah. guess. Yeah, how, absolutely. How do, and, and when you explain it to your friends and family, do they get it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, <laughs> they know all about Bitcoin. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> They're all onboarded. They're all Bitcoiners now, are they? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always been impressed by the supportiveness of my family and the curiosity of both like my family and friends, where they'll indulge me and engage me and be like, okay, but how does it really work? And, you know, from all different fields of studies, uh, the, how, how hard they try to understand and how curious they are. I'm like, wow, I, I have some good people around. <laughs> yeah. What, what about like, do you feel a sense of responsibility with it then? Hmm. 
Probably, considering, I mean, I, I struggle with um, having an excess of motivation and like feeling like, oh, if only I could do more and um, just kind of the challenges of how long my lists of ideas are. So I would imagine that there's a sense of responsibility in there. Um, but I guess I don't personally frame it that way. Yeah, fair enough. I've got a, I've got another question for you. It's kind of technical, but just something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, it's like, how does Bitcoin stay decentralized and simultaneously adapt to growing usage? <laughs> I cheated. <laughs> I cheated. Uh, that was fantastic, by the way. So, look, just to let people know, listening, you wrote, you co-wrote a piece on Medium, um, and it's a fascinating piece. I'm going to put it in the show notes because I think people should read it. Do you want to give the TLDR? <laughs> yeah. So this is what we were alluding to earlier, where I think it's a unique project because, in addition to having this new consensus proof of work, like how that works, there's also this social consensus of. How do we make changes to the project in a decentralized way? And I think this is a really fascinating, but also crucially important question to be asking and aware of, um, because in many ways, um, it's a very small team of people who are ensuring the health of Bitcoin Core. And I really hope to see over time that grow and for it to be more accessible and for more people to participate in the system of how we make decisions. Um, and then also, you know, in the very long term, it'd be cool to see more projects having decentralized decision-making techniques. So in Bitcoin, it all relies on that peer review process um, and whether it's for the protocol via the mailing list and um, the review process there or for Bitcoin Core via the GitHub project, uh, there are there are a handful of people who called maintainers who are able to say accept the changes and merge it in and who drive the release process, but they are not really trying to impose the decision themselves. They're trying to look at what the community consensus is, and so there's a lot of nuances and you know important things to attend to to make these decisions, but. As a community member, if you care about Bitcoin, I think that uh, understanding what that process is like is important. And I think that a lot of people really uh, sometimes have some strong opinions without actually understanding <laughs> what that is like. So <laughs> I hope to I hope to inspire more curiosity. Yeah. So and that, and, and that leads on then forward to another question, because somebody listening to this might be like, you know, I really want to do this. I want to become a core contributor um what advice would you give like what process should they go through because it's not like everyone can become a get a residency with chain code but mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a reason not to pursue this absolutely um so yeah a few things so for all of my advice i have a blog post for that called onboarding to bitcoin core which you can find on my medium okay um, i didn't see that one yeah it's the only blog post on my medium, I think. Oh, because uh, is that is that on a separate one from the one I read? Yeah, that the one that was just published was released by OKCoin. Um, okay, okay. I collaborated with. Um, but well, I'll add I the other. I'll add the other one in as well. But what what was the TLDR for that then? Sure. So I think that 
The main thing, if you want to be an active contributor to Bitcoin Core, is recognizing that all valuable contributions happen over time. So it's really important. And I just read this book, Working in Public. Uh, that's an amazing book about open source development, etc. Um, but I think something that really emphasized and put into perspective to me is that open source projects have um, a lot of demand of attention because there's this kind of constant churn of people who might be asking questions, opening issues, trying to make a contribution. Um, and these can be kind of extractive or uh, imposing to the project because every change requires maintenance over time. So if you're serious about contributing to Bitcoin Core and you're genuine about wanting to do it over time, then you should know that that is a huge value add and it's a very bandwidth constrained project and people are so welcoming and um, encouraging and supportive. Everybody who I've, I've helped a lot of people on board and they've all echoed a similar sentiment to me where they're like, wow, this is an amazing community. And so if you're interested, then just take it slow, invest in your learning and find ways that you can actually contribute value. And so I go more into details in the blog. I'll spare you all a whole monologue, but I think that's the most important thing to keep in perspective. It's funny. Um, I said it at the time when I met you with um, John Newbury, the three of you, all in that room. As I said, people might not have heard that. I'll send them back to it because it's the John Newbury interview. There's 15 minutes at the end and a meeting, and I can't remember the other two people. Carla and Fabian. Yeah, it's Carla and Fabian. And I just asked for 15 minutes just to explain what the residency was like. And I just had three people set with the biggest grins opposite me, just so happy. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, it was really inspirational for me to leave and see that. And I see it exactly the same with you now. You've got that, like, same ear-to-ear grin. You're absolutely loving it, absolutely enjoying it. It's like you're on top of the world. Um, it's a very cool thing to see. Yeah, it's a shame. I should probably just screen grab your smile and put it out on uh, on Twitter. Whenever I should like, when everyone's arguing, I was just like, "Look, let's have an meeting moment." Like everyone, just smile. Let's chill out. Um, but no, but it's really cool to see, and I'm like, I, I really, it's really been cool to see this like leap in your your journey, and um, like, congratulations. That's very cool. Okay, so thank you. Final kind of question is, um, yeah, what's coming up for you? I know you've got this second part of the on the peer-to-peer -peer yeah. network that you're working on, but what else is coming up? What else do you, do you want to work on? Yeah. Well, I've kind of taken a detour. Um, there's some testing improvements. So we started today by talking about the value of testing in projects and trying to help scale. Um, so that's really where my current focus has been in ha introducing a mechanism that will enable a lot more tests. So I've been very excited about that. Um, and then I hope to make my way back to part two. But overall, um, I'm just really excited to continue to deepen my understanding of the system. I'm still focused in P2P, but I hope as I am able to internalize a lot of what's going on to kind of keep expanding out and understand more and more of the system, leave better reviews, mentoring newcomers. Lately, I've been mentoring two uh, people who are onboarding who are both really awesome and that's incredibly rewarding for me uh, so and then always looking for like different uh, ways to engage the community it's really fun to talk to people because I think 
I've talked to people in like so many different countries in the world who identify as Bitcoiners. And it's so cool to hear how Bitcoin um, compels different people, how it uh, has different use cases for different people and inspires uh, different aspects. And I think that um, making amplifying those voices is something that I'm very excited by. So I've started like the Bitcoin sign with Stacy and Des and a way to just say, here's a playful space for anything you want to say or paint or whatever about Bitcoin. So I think there's a lot of avenues. That, we'll see what's next. There's <laughs> Dickerson. Mm-hmm. And Stacy Herbert. No, Stacy Walenko. Oh. oh, okay. Very cool. So there is one other thing I, I did want to ask you about, and and it's also the reason I ended up getting back in touch with you and saying, let's do a show, because um, obviously something happened recently um, that that kind of became the the drama for the day on Twitter or for a couple of days. And, you know, I understand why, and I've got my own opinions, which I'll share afterwards. But um, when the variable change happened for Blacklist to become a Blocklist, um, I'm not sure if that's where it finished up, um, for some reason I saw the reviewers and I saw your name and I was like, I know that name. <laughs> and that's when I looked into it and I realized like I saw you. I was like, okay, I understand what you're doing now. Oh yeah, let's get in touch and let's do another interview by the way. But I actually, that's, that's where you came back on my radar. So be, <laughs> um, what went on there for you? Well, a couple of questions. What went on there for you? Um, how do you feel about what happened? Did you personally get any kind of, did you get mixed up in any kind of people giving you a hard time? And, and now how do you reflect on it? So there's a bunch of questions there, but. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, that was my first experience coming under direct fire of very angry people on Twitter. So that was interesting. <laughs> um, Directly but, at you? Mm, yes, yes. I, according to some Twitter uh, people, I was promoted to maintainer and was the one who merged it and got m- my my mentions were blown up with a lot of anger. Um, it was it was kind of strange because uh, there were some people who were trying to complain about me. They're like, oh, my God, our beloved Amiti has acted this. And I was like, what? When was I beloved? <laughs> <laughs> or, or things like that. So it was uh, interesting to get that kind of attention. Um, but I think anything abusive, I, mm, anything yes. abusive stuff overstep the mark. Yes, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so I think there's a few takeaways. I think that one, when talking about the Bitcoin core as a project and looking at extractive versus like long-term contributions, they, there were a lot of people, like 100 people, who came through the GitHub project who had never been there before to very strongly express their opinion about this one word that doesn't even get released into Bitcoin Core. Like, it doesn't get bundled up and released. It's pretty trivial. And um, I think that that was extremely extractive. And I think one of the hardest things for me was to see the people who I respect and care about in the Bitcoin community feel so depleted. I think that just sucks. It hurts my heart. Like everything from 
the lead maintainer to Vlad, yeah. my, my friends, etc. Like this is these are people who work so hard, tend to be chronically underpaid, and just like day in and day out, over time, just quietly heads down, continue to work. So to give them the extra load of such um, anger around something so inconsequential, I think is just totally unacceptable. Um, Mm. And then, and, and so that's my, like, based on just the interactions of the GitHub repo, I think that that is not okay. Um, and then I think that there's a few different layers. Uh, for example, one, it, it, it just aggravates me and conflicts with my idea of Bitcoin. As we were talking about what I find compelling and incredible about Bitcoin is that it's at a protocol level inclusive by design. And so people who are using all of this energy to be angry, to try to destroy, to not actually create anything and to say that um, specific things are unwelcome. I wasn't even around for SegWit, so I don't know all that history, but clearly there's leftover issues that are rising back up. Um, And that just is totally not in line with what I... uh, what I believe in Bitcoin. And finally, I don't think it's representative. I think there's a small group of people who are very, very active on Twitter, who have a lot of anger um, and are able to just like point it one direction or another. I think it probably has more to do with Twitter than to do with Bitcoin and that it would be present in other niches that people feel strongly about. Um, but as I was saying, I've talked to so many people in so many different Bitcoin communities, and I don't think that this small group of loud, angry voices represent what the Bitcoin community is, but that there's been this successful conflation of, ah, oh, we are the community. This is what we care about. And I disagree with the idea of like, quote, this is an immune response because, okay, here I've got a metaphor for it. Okay. If we were like rewinding to January of this year and then there was somebody who was caught jaywalking and then hundreds and thousands of people were like oh my god they jaywalked let's let's you know let's get them oh we did it we got them oh my gosh we have such an immune response and then COVID hits like <laughs> like is that an immune response because in Bitcoin today like there are still attacks that are available hopefully they're very expensive and hard to do but we're still finding things like that. And this is not an immune response. Like we need people who are looking critically, thinking critically, testing out the code and trying to educate people, trying to build things around in the ecosystem. And so I think that any any attempt to dress this up as good for Bitcoin, um, uh, I, I disagree with. <laughs> right. But I don't have any great solutions other than trying to raise all of the positive voices who, of people who are trying to create and build things. Yeah, so let, I'll give you my take. And <laughs> my take also has a metaphor in it as well, similar to yours. So my take <laughs> on it was, is, 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 there's a bit of nuance to this. So I did live through uh, Segwit 2X, but I was very new. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, big blocks, oh, and like lower, like faster transactions because more space and cheaper. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, okay, I get it. And then like 
somebody explained the other side. Yeah, but you're going to maintain decentralized. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I didn't like understand it at a deep level. It's just like, okay, there's a trade-off here, blah, blah, blah. Over time, especially now, I really understand why it was important to keep the block size down. I really get that. And there's definitely some PTSD from that period. And it's, an, it's this conservatism around the protocol um is an area i'm really interested in right now like this i'm working on a couple of shows based on it um on conservatism versus toxicity um because toxicity seems to be this new thing that has this kind of like proud badge of honor and i'm just wondering if people have really thought it through because if you like look up toxicity in the dictionary it's malicious it's poisonous Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you need to have that as a badge of honor or whether conservatism and tough conservatism is right. Now, on the issue of changing the variable name, I'm in the area of saying it shouldn't have been changed for the for a political reason. And the reason I under I, I agree with that idea is let's just keep politics out of Bitcoin. Um, and I'm just kind of like with that. I'm not over. I don't overly care, but like. I just rather like the, let's just never have political decisions in Bitcoin. Like let's have the conversations out, but let's let's not do it. But this the the reaction that I saw at times, I was like, whoa, okay, this is kind of intense. What I questioned is like, could the same have been achieved by talking it through, being tough without being say abusive? I'm not going to guess the type type of responses you see, but I might have a look and see in Twitter and see if there is anything. But I know some people can be very abusive. I was very disheartened by Vlad's tweets. And this is kind of what interests me in, in the moment. I was like, I wonder if there is like this radicalization of conservatism where people feel like they're self-appointed defenders of Bitcoin and they are overstepping the mark. And if there's by that, I mean, that leads to unintended consequences. Like imagine Vlad was so disheartened by it that he quit. Like, could the same objectives have been achieved objectives have been, had been achieved and then to throw in my metaphor like and it's not mine on my own somebody kind of like pointed me in the direction of this talking about bitcoin as an immune system and you know thinking about like the role of what white blood cells do that they you know the white blood cells are your immune system but we also have autoimmune disease where our blood cells start killing each other and this isn't a new concept that somebody's talked about and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a new concept in Bitcoin, but I'm definitely thinking on it. I'm wondering if if Bitcoin has an immune system, can Bitcoin also have an autoimmune disease, which means it starts killing itself from the inside because of the way people react about situations. I don't want to inflame anything with this, but I'm certainly interested in exploring it as an idea because I, for me, there was what Twitter doesn't do in a situation like this is deal with the nuance of this. Like the variations of ideas, but yeah, so that's kind of like my take on it. I don't know if you have any kind of like response to that. Yeah, I, I like your language and framing of con- conservatism versus toxicity, and I think personally, working on the Bitcoin Core project, I have an exposure to an alternative where it's extremely conservative, but it's extremely um, discourse oriented and people welcome skepticism and skepticism is what encourages robustness over time. Um, So you don't want to just change things to change things. So if you're not sure, keep it the way it is, but try to understand why is it that way and alternatives for, can it be better? 
Um, and this is such a different culture than uh, what the platform of Twitter rewards because yeah, Twitter doesn't reward nuance. It, it is more about sound bites and being loud. And so uh, I think the human aspects of how society like, like revolves and coalesces around the different cultures um, is something that's interesting. But in general, I just think that, yeah, I think it's kind of uh, fascinating that toxicity in Bitcoin has been like this, oh, it's a badge of pride. Like, whoa, how did, how did that happen? <laughs> um, I think that's unfortunate because especially working with people and trying to onboard contributors to Bitcoin Core, um, self-doubt and fear are the biggest hindrances. I think there's a lot of competent and int intelligent people, but when they're fueled by external narratives saying like, you're not good enough, how dare you ask that question, um, those sorts of things, rather than fueled by be curious, be skeptical, ask questions, uh, I don't think that produces a good environment. Yeah. Um, it didn't knock your confidence too much, right? Sorry? It didn't, like, knock you too much, like, your, um, you know, your confidence, no. you, you know, you roll through it okay? Aw, oh, thanks. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, there are so many people who reached out publicly, privately, to offer support and to not just to me, to other people as well. Like, I don't think that this loud minority is representative of the bigger Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, and I think that overall as an ecosystem, we have so many people with creative solutions who know how to inspire curiosity, who are building amazing solutions and uh, offering positivity to the world. So I feel lucky to have that perspective and I feel like I hope to share that with more people and make it make it just very obvious that the the toxic behavior of a few is not what the ecosystem's about. Fantastic. Great answer. <laughs> well, listen, look, this has been lovely. It's great to talk to you again. Um okay, so if people want to follow you Where's the Twitter and also where's that Medium post? I mean, I'll put it out in the show notes, but where can they follow you? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on GitHub. Uh, I think that's most of where I am. <laughs> what, yeah. What's your address? What's your Twitter address? Oh, yeah. I think it's Amizi, A-M-I-Z-I, but I need to double check. <laughs> you can't even remember well listen look i'll put it out i'll put it in the show notes i'll let people follow you look it's been great to catch up glad it's all gone so well for you and uh we should probably check in maybe in another year and see how things are going <laughs> sounds great thank you for having me no worries you take care all right what did you think of that one do you enjoy that interview obviously the work that amiti and all the other developers are doing by contributing to bitcoin is amazing being open source and decentralized, I know how hard it can be for people to get funding. Uh, recently, even prominent devs like Luke Dasher have said that they have had to step back from their open source development work due to funding. So we do need more companies to step up and help fund development along the likes of Blockstream and Chaincode Labs. And you might have seen recently that following my interview with Brian Armstrong, where I asked him about funding devs, that Coinbase announced that they are now looking to sponsor two developers, which is really cool. And hopefully a lot more will follow suit. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. If you do have any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you do want to support the show, I've been asking for reviews recently on iTunes. A whole load have been coming in. So thank you, thank you so much. Everyone who's taken the two minutes to do that. If you do enjoy the show and you do want to help out, please do head over to iTunes and leave a review. Like I say, it only takes about two minutes and I massively, massively appreciate it. Outside of that, if you want to check out my other show, Defiance, we're on episode 5 of my series about Ghislaine. That's at defiance.news. And if you want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Have a great week, and I'll see you all on Friday.